0: It's time for Watch and Learn, the show where we discuss the life lessons we learn from the movies we watch. Today, The Goonies. Hey, movie maniacs. My name is Sky, and I'm here again with my brother, Dusty. So, Dusty, I have a question for you. Have you ever fought off a killer octopus or set off any booty traps? I've I've actually never set off booty traps, but I've actually placed plenty of booty traps, but they were never very good. Data's ah. so much better at doing those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever, I, I think I've done it with my sons, but, or maybe I did it with you too when we were kids, place a bucket of water on top of a door? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that's like the easiest, most common booty trap there is. Yeah, those, the booty traps. Oh, that's, you know, you mean booby traps. That's what I said. I said booby traps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, data is, oh, let me ask you before, as we're getting started, my first thought comes to mind is uh, there's two questions I want to ask you. So I'm going to jump right into it. Number one, who do you see yourself most like in The Goonies? You know, when you put yourself back, uh, when you were what, eight years old, when you first Mm -hmm. watched it, you know, who did you see yourself being in The Goonies? And now who do you like the most? Like which character do you appreciate the most? I think both of them are the same answer. I think it's Mikey for both. I would see myself as Mikey more so than mouth, more so than chunk, more so than brand, um, So I'm Mikey more than anybody, and I really appreciate Mikey's, like, drive to solve this problem that his dad, that everyone's facing, losing the goondocks, you know? So I really identify and like Mikey. That's a great point. I completely agree with you. So if I were to put myself back, I I think I was, like, six years old when I first watched this movie, um, I was... I don't know if I was really chubby, but I remember being a little more chubby, and so I was like, I don't like being like I didn't like the character of Chunk until the very end, like when he starts, you know, he's winning and he he and uh, Sloth actually, you know, go down the the sail with you know cutting it with a knife Mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff, and he's Captain Chunk. Obviously, that's really cool. So I wouldn't say that I saw myself, but I was like, man, I'm chubby, just like Chunk, and so that was one thing. But I definitely. Uh, saw myself being more like Mikey like let's let's get this done let's figure it out let's um all work together to you know get this common goal of getting the treasure and so yeah all all everything combined you know I saw a little bit of chunk in myself because I was chubby that's only one thing everything else about chunk was totally not me just because I was chubby but then Mikey as well I was like I really like Mikey because he was the one that seemed the most uh, I wouldn't say level-headed, but the most normal character, mm-hmm. um, Data, was so driven on his his um, you know gadgets and his his things that he has, and then Mouth was just you know loud Mouth Mouth, um, and then Chunk being doing the Truffle Shuffle and you know how he is, and it, it just always worried about eating. Anyway, so Mikey just seemed a little more level-headed, and so that's why I, I saw myself. Plus, I like leading, and so that's also another reason why I could see myself with Mikey. But now. I would say yeah, as I look back and watch the movie, I definitely, obviously Mikey is one of the easiest characters to really gravitate to, but man, I really, it's fun watching Chunk now and I appreciate how like in character he was the whole time and he felt um, like he just felt like he was Chunk, like the, whoever the actor, I can't remember his name, but he did such a great job playing Chunk that I just, I look back now like, man, that was terrific. I can't, I, he's probably what, like 12 years old or 13 or something like that, but did a great job. Yeah, definitely. So his name is Jeff Cohen. He's a is actual like an entertainment entertainment lawyer now. Um so he kind of got out of the entertainment side of the business. Now is on the back end side of stuff. Huh. And I agree with you. He killed it as Chunk. I think all the kids did a great job in all their respective roles. My guess is that they found kids that just naturally embodied each of the characteristics of the characters because um mouth is obviously like uh no Corey feldman is like the perfect mouth right like no matter what that's him and then um data as ah geez what's the what's the actor's name for data jonathan key kwan he embodies that perfectly and brand kind of like the older brother kind of like not really acting like a father but being the kind of the guiding influence i think everybody was cast uh in the casting process they kind of figured who resembles these characters the most because maybe you don't want your child actors to really try to act you want them to be themselves so they seem more natural on screen and so I thought like these kids that actually played these roles if this happened in real life these are all the roles that they would really take I believe It does make sense. And I fully um, see them in not that's like that's who they are in a person, but they played it so well. And, you know, what was really interesting is when I was looking for the movie to watch, I saw that there was a um, the making of a cult classic Goonies Um, and you can even watch parts of it or almost all of it on YouTube. So if you just go on YouTube and type in the making cult classic Goonies, You'll see that, you know, how you have the actors as they get older, as they get older and the director gets older, they talk about the things that has happened. Um, and you talk, they, they show the director, you know, having to actually deal with kids, you know, each individually, the kids are great, but when you put them all together, it's like wrangling cats. And, yeah. you know, he said it was really challenging, but obviously, you know, he loved every single bit of it and loved the kids, but it was just rough because you ha- you're dealing with kids and, being that, you know, when you're hanging around funny kids and kids that are um, in, enjoyable to be around, they like having fun. And so to making sure that they do everything right, it's it's great how the movie really played out really, really well, that the storytelling did a great job. The acting did not um, detract from the story, but it actually brought you in. So it was just terrific all around. But it was interesting. Also, on top of that, Corey Feldman plays Mouth. Mm-hmm. But in the casting they actually, this is, and this is the first time, because Corey Haim and Corey Feldman were, like, best friends, and Corey Haim was in a lot of 80s and 90s movies, Um and so they were best friends, and what was interesting, the first time, and Corey Feldman's expressing this in that um, documentary, The Making Cult Classic for Goonies, um Corey Feldman says that's the first time he indirectly met Corey Haim was, Corey Haim was just getting done reading for Mouth and Corey Feldman walks in and obviously he gets the part, but they got to meet there. But then they became really big friends. But I was thinking, man, if Corey um, Haim was Mouth, I think he would have done a decent job. But but Corey Feldman is just like he he knocked it out of the park. 100 percent. I agree with you. I think I think he did good. And yeah, uh, that that's interesting that, yeah, he took the role from Corey Haim. But then later on, they they were cast together in the lost boys and they became really good friends and then later on like they each kind of they were both of the same age and kind of like the handsome young hollywood stud and so they were both applying for a lot of the same roles so i would imagine a lot of those like license to drive and stuff i bet they took each other's roles here and there and sometimes uh they were cast in the same movie together and they were a lot of fun together yeah, definitely. So, if anybody loves Goonies, definitely go and watch that on YouTube, the Making of the Cult Classic, because you have the actors saying, you know, funny things that have happened or that did happen during the shooting or the director or Spielberg or, you know, they're just basically talking about uh, making the movie, which is rather fun because it's definitely my favorite movie. Yeah, you know, it's, it's my favorite movie growing up and I could definitely watch it over and over again. Yeah, me too as well. And uh, I have the DVD of it. So that's how I watched it. And in the DVD, they have the actor's commentary along with Richard Donner. The director was there too. So they had all seven of the kids grown up. I think it was like 15 years or 16 years later that they recorded it right at the beginning of the thousands. And so you get to hear them talking about their respective roles, what they remember. It is kind of a bummer because Most commentaries take place, at least nowadays, they take place within six months of the film being released, you know, so the directors, the actors, they have everything Really, at the top of mind, they can remember a lot. Sixteen years later, they don't remember as much. But it is fun listening to the commentary, hearing them banter back and forth, interrupt each other's stories. Sometimes stories get started um, by like Sean Astin or Corey Feldman. Someone else pipes in, and then everybody forgets that that person was telling a story. You know, it's just it's just kind of fun hearing them re relive as they're watching the movie through the commentary. Yeah, and I I definitely. Um, thoroughly enjoyed learning about the movie because I appreciate the movie so much. Um, It's great you have the the DVD. I'm going to have to borrow that when I come back into town for uh, Christmas time just so I can watch all that commentary that you have. Well, I'll be honest with you. I could only get through about 20-25 minutes of it because they're constantly interrupting each other so stories don't get finished like I said. Which makes me just kind of lose interest as well. You know what ah. I mean? Yeah. So it's not like the Lord of the Rings commentaries, which you and I have mentioned before. I watched those straight through um, like full three hours of commentary because like I said, it was filmed or the commentary was recorded shortly after the movie was released. So everybody has a really good memory of things. So the commentary is really good and they tell you a lot of behind the scenes stuff, which is fun. This was fun in the Goonies, but I couldn't watch the whole thing. Got it. Now, what's interesting, too, is the difference between your kids and my kids. So my kids don't like scary movies or what they would perceive to be scary movies. Um, your kids are a little different where, you know, they either have gotten past that thinking or they just don't think a lot of things are scary, probably because, you know, they, they've, they've experienced a lot more with uh, movies or video games and all that sort of stuff than my kids. Um, so what I actually had my kids watch the movie with me. And what was interesting... Is the Goonies came on television before I even picked it, and so this was like maybe I don't know a couple of weeks ago before we picked it, and before we mm-hmm. knew we were going to be talking all about it, and so it came to the spot where it had Chester Copperpot being dead and being a skeleton, and so the kids already have that in their brain; they're like scared out of their mind. They're just I'm flipping their channels. I'm like, oh Goonies! And they, all of a sudden, there's Chester Copperpot. So they're scared because they see a, a a dead skeleton right there, and so you know, fast forward two weeks later, I said, Hey guys, we're going to watch Goonies. And like, I don't want to watch that. That's scary. So what was very, very cool was you mentioned in our last podcast episode when I brought up Goonies, that maybe if the kids watched it from the very beginning, where you get the story, you get the kids, you know, you see what they're, what they're like and all that sort of stuff, they might get into it. And what was actually very interesting. So they were like scared out of their minds before it started. And then as it started playing, they got into it, and because it wasn't really scary, they're showing the you know the cops running around chasing Fertelli's and and shows the characters doing fun things, um, and they didn't really get scary for for a while. They, they actually when it was I think it was when they got the de Bloom is when my kids started getting scared once they were um, you know walking towards a Fertelli's place. That's when they started getting scared. But anyways. Oh. What was interesting was they they were scared, but they couldn't get away from it like they would just keep wanting to watch it the whole time and they, they'd leave the room if it got scared, you know scary really, you know it got them scared, and then they'd come right back as soon as they, like, the music went down because in this movie, you can hear the music definitely does a good job with. Going up and down and telling you part of the story with the music, and so they would come in at certain times. But um, I was like, I watched this when I was six years old. You guys are older than that. Why are you guys crying? Right? No, not crying, but like, why are you all upset? Why? (laughs) Like, why why you all think it's scared? And so now I'm gonna have to watch it with them again. And now that they know everything about it, um, there should be much easier at watching it. Now, how how did your kids take it? Oh, they took it just fine from the very moment. I mean, we probably watched it two years ago together for the first time. So the oldest was nine. The youngest might have been seven. And they were 100% fine with it. I mean, we've watched, as you know, I mean, my boys have both seen Deadpool and Deadpool 2 five times each, you know, already. Um, So my kids are used to that kind of not only just action stuff, but also seeing death in movies and stuff. They're not so scared by it at all because I started them maybe too early, but I started them early on that kind of stuff. So they were fine. And actually when I was watching this again the other day or yesterday and taking notes on it, uh, my son comes in and says, Hey, my favorite movie. And he started watching it. Mason, I'm talking about the older one, started watching it with me. So he considered this, considers this right now, his, one of his favorite movies. How could you not, being a boy, you know, being Mm -hmm. a a young boy, anywhere from, like, 8 to, you know, 15 years old watching it, you know, just you see yourself in each character. You do, without a doubt, and I think it's it's the promise of adventure, of discovering new things, and going on, and, I mean, yeah, sure, the Fratellis are bad, so there is some element of danger there, but the kids get out of every scrape, um, you know, throughout the story, and so there is danger there, but it's not, like, so... I don't know. It's not like super scary danger that would scare a little kid like you or I or your kids or my kids. You know, it's just a fun adventure movie, and I think I think that's what it is. It's the whole idea of going on a treasure hunt and encountering booby traps and stuff that really fires off a kid's imagination. It sure does. I remember you said you watched it three times in one day when you were homesick, mm-hmm. and I I can't even count how many times I've watched Unis And you know, as as gotten older. Now I'm 39 years old watching it again, definitely reliving all the storyline and everything, you know, kind of memory of back in the day when we would drop our own treasure maps and, and run around and have fun goofing off and doing fun stuff like that. So yeah, this, this movie is just hands down, um, my absolute favorite movie. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. And you know what I remembered as I was watching this again, I remembered a game that you and I used to play in the backyard called buddies. Do you remember that? No, I don't. No, tell me about it. Yeah, well, we would we would run around in the backyard and we would just imagine that there were booby traps or gigantic pitfalls that we were trying to dodge. And we would climb on the fences and act like if you fell, you'd fall to your death and stuff. And and we were two buddies who uh, basically were trying to get through an elaborate series of traps together, you know, to find some kind of treasure or to save somebody or something. And I mean, this was probably right around the time when we first watched uh, The Goonies at ages eight and six or seven or whatever we were. That's fun. Now, I, what's uh, interesting is my kids, after seeing, talking about booby traps and booty traps, my kids are asking me, and I, I I didn't, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't remember being buddies and, and running around, but that's, I, I remember doing things like that. So absolutely. And it got me thinking because my kids ask, why do they call it a booby trap? You know, we know the word boobies. And so Mm -hmm. when you think a booby trap, like why would that ever be called a booby trap? And do you know why it's called a booby trap? No, I didn't bother looking it up. No. Yeah, so I did a little bit of research and found that, you know, it's not the the word B-O-O-B-I-E, which you definitely can spell it that. Boobies! Yeah, there you go. And so what's interesting is the reason why Booby Traps was named Booby Traps was because of a bird called the Booby Bird, B-O-O-B-Y, the Booby Bird. And what a long time ago, I don't know even how long ago it was, but um, sailors would you know, try to trap these booby birds for food. And so they would call it a booby trap and mm-hmm. they would make you know elaborate little traps and, and ways to get them. And so it just translated from there. At least this is what I've read, which is rather interesting that there's a bird called a booby bird. But um, yeah, so when you translate that to nowadays with kids running around and having fun, we just make fun things that would actually trap somebody like you said. Put, put a uh, bucket on top of the uh, door, you know, it's half open. And uh-huh. then once it opens, it dumps on the person. That's a booby trap, obviously. And, you know, things like that are just so much fun. So let me ask you, are there any booby traps that you guys have, you and your boys, have played on your your wife, Denise, or on each other or anything like that? No. Well, uh, yes, we have, but I can't, nothing, call, nothing comes to mind about it. I need to do that. I, you know, I just need to have fun with the kids, not anything detrimental or yeah. harmful or you know, like destroy property, you know, like at my house, but doing something like, you know, putting a, a pillow on top of a, a chair or on top of a door instead of a water bucket, um a bucket of water and have me and the kids inside the room and call my wife in, Hey, come on in here. We need to show you something and, and see it land on her. You yeah. know, it's not going to hurt her, but it's like, Oh, Hey, we got you. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Fun stuff. Fun stuff for sure. Hey, you know, when it comes to all these booby traps, I really liked how uh, if you see booby traps in like an Indiana Jones movie, it's like you step on a block and then an arrow shoots out at you, right? That's like a one step trap. I really liked how this movie used the whole Rube Goldberg idea and they, they kind of set it up in the beginning with that Rube Goldberg opening the gate for Chunk doing his truffle shuffle. They use the Rube Goldberg machine, where basically a Rube Goldberg is like a machine designed for a simple task, but it's performed in like an overcomplicated way. So I like how they use that very first Rube Rube Goldberg machine at the house to set you up for all the different booby traps later on, because I think you see like three other booby traps that are pretty intricately made, you know? That's a good point. I didn't think about that, because when you see it, you're like, why in the world would it, does it take so long? And for me, I see the, uh, uh, was it a a chicken or a rooster that actually drops eggs? I could have swore it was a rooster, but I I was probably wrong, but like whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so when the balloon blows up and then pops, you know, every time you have to go back and make sure the balloons put back on, if you want to open it again, but then how do you know that there's an egg as soon as it gets up, you know, all that sort of like as a kid, I'm like, how does that work? But then it's fun that you notice that exactly it's so elaborate for something so minuscule so tiny as that but then you translate that into all the other booby traps that are in the um, in the movie the rest of the movie with the Fratellis as well as data setting booby traps it's just really really fun to watch and a couple of the booby traps that the people lay or the, you know the pirates and when um, uh, I Willie made them or had them lay they're really really overly elaborate in a sense yeah. where it's like you know all you gotta do is run you know like these it gives you time th- to escape exactly it's not that big of a deal the one that i really liked though was the um uh the piano that was really cool to see that and uh when they actually had to play the keys and i was Mm -hmm. like dumbfounded how they would she would have figured out how to play the keys right but that was a really fun little booby trap there oh for sure it was yeah and i really like how like i said indiana jones movies the well uh i should say for goonies the whole rube goldberg aspect that was to To pull you in visually to see how these things are working. In other movies with booby traps, they don't care about the visuals. Like, they're really interested in the peril that your main characters are in. So this is kind of a different way to look at booby traps than your classic booby trapping movie, you know? Great point. Yeah. Great point. Hey, you know, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Worst line and the best line. What is, what do you think is the worst line of the movie? Hmm... There was one where Sean Astin said something like it was a close, not really close up, but it was, yeah, directly on his face. I think he was in, um, I think when, uh, for me, I always was dumbfounded. How did Sean Astin or Mikey know which one was Willie's um, pile of gold? When he said, no, you could take anything, um, but don't take this. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not necessarily the words, but it's the thinking of why he said it. Yeah. But. So, a- as we watch through the movie, there were a couple lines, but I, they don't come to my mind. You might say it, and I'll probably be like, oh, yeah, that's great. Go ahead. Yeah, here it is. Andy, you goonie! <laughs> that's the worst <laughs> line of the movie, let me tell you. Well, you know what? It, it is, um, it, I when I hear that line, and especially when I heard it again- I laugh at Troy every time. At Troy, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the reason why is Goonie is a, is a derogatory word for some, but it is they own it as a badge of honor. You know, the, the boys own it as a badge of honor. So Troy is saying that, calling her a Goonie when she literally said, I'm not a Goonie. I want to go home. Mm-hmm. You know, so she he's saying, you know, you're you're basically or Troy is saying that you're dead to me. But I agree the way it's said. It's just like, oh, that's 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 sad. Yeah, it is sad. And what do you think is the best line of the movie? hey you guys <laughs> that is a good line that is that's, a good that's line my favorite i, I yeah. always remember that mm-hmm. my favorite is at the beginning uh towards the beginning when the after the statue fell and then uh mikey's mom says what is that and then chunk <laughs> says oh shit what that's my favorite line of the movie Chuck, right there play that off so well or you know the yeah. actor he did such a great like his face was like oh my goodness he knows that he just got found out and yep. oh it was so great yeah so, those are my two, the worst line and the best line in the movie are those two right there. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, that's, there are so many iconic lines in that that my brain automatically goes to. Mm-hmm. Like when Mouth is using his tongue to stick through the, uh, the painting, hey, give me a little wet, white lippery kiss. Yep. <laughs> Things like that all throughout the movie just reminds me so much of the childhood. It's, it's terrific. It is terrific. Uh, Speaking of reminding, you know how uh, Chunk spills his guts to the Fratellis in front of that little blender with the tomatoes in it? Uh Um, That totally reminded me of Weasel, of T.J. Miller's character in Deadpool 2. Just as soon as um, uh, uh, Cable started saying, this is what I'm going to do to you. And he goes, nope. Like this is what they're doing. Here it is. Da-da-da-da. He doesn't even. He doesn't even get to the torture. Just the idea of torture makes him spill his guts. You know, <laughs> absolutely. And what was? And and Chunk did that. He said they're in the fireplace. Like where did they? Yeah, be? they're in the fireplace. <laughs> didn't even try. <laughs> yep. Yep. I love that. Just the, the just reminded me of Deadpool. You know, which of course stars our own brand um, in Deadpool two. Of course, as Cable. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Josh Brolin's he's been I I remember he it seemed like after Goonies you don't see him very much but he was in you know he was acting he was actually continuing his career acting but um the only time that I really remember him coming back was old uh old country no country for old men or what was that called no country for old men there you go I still haven't seen it but I remember seeing him in it as Mm -hmm. being you know a character so but then since then he's been really you know not, not a list actor now Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, he is. And I think he's one of the best men. Have you? There's a really good movie right up your alley. I think I watched it on Netflix. It's called The Legacy of a Whitetail Deer Hunter. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. Yeah, he plays a character named Buck Ferguson, who is all about deer hunting. He has his own TV show. He has his cameraman that he goes out on hunts with. And it's just it's it's a really funny movie, really kind of endearing him with his son, who... Uh, he's just, you know, going on a hunt with his son to catch the legend, legendary white-tailed deer. Um, and uh, it's just a really good movie. I don't know that you have Netflix or not, but it also stars Danny McBride. It's totally worth it. And being a hunter yourself, this movie's right up your alley. Um, uh, what was it called again? Legacy of a White-Tailed Deer Hunter. Very cool. And actually what's interesting is tomorrow I'm literally gonna go hunting. Ooh. So for yeah, so for a week and a half I have uh deer tags for a white tailed deer. Oh actually. <laughs> yeah. Nice. yeah, so literally tomorrow I'm taking off to go hunting for a week and yeah, I'm I'm super excited for doing it. Um I I don't know if I'm gonna get anything. Obviously, hunting's hunting. It's not, you know, like catching or anything like that. Like it, you literally have to do a lot of hiking, a lot of, um, using your binoculars to find the deer and, and actually shoot right. But you know, I don't hunt for, I I love getting the deer, but really it's to provide for the family, get meat, but it's also the fun of the hunt, you know, the thrill of the hunt. And then, you know, if there is ever a zombie apocalypse, I know how to hunt for food, you know, so everything wrapped up, but yeah, so I'm going to have to check out that movie. Totally. You do. I recommend it. Hey, one thing I want to mention is, um, uh, Mikey's Dad's Attic. If you go up to an attic like that, that is the perfect place to spark a kid's imagination, right? It makes sense that they see all this crazy weird stuff, these weird electronic things, all these old posters, all these old... um, There's like an even... What is it from Big? The Zoltan kind of like (laughs) a boardwalk game there up there. So much stuff. It makes sense it would spark a kid's imagination. They find this map, so now it's time to go on a treasure hunt. I loved it. Yeah, it was a great way to set it all up, and then you basically have the key or the bloom there as well as the map, and so really, really super awesome. And I, it's fun seeing Chunk break things, and and Mikey knowing that he's going to break something. Yes. you know, it, it's just yeah, the, they the storytelling throughout the whole thing is great. And what was interesting is as I was watching that making a cult classic documentary, that it had other scenes that we didn't see, and I wanted to bring up so. I remember growing up watching it, just the theatrical version of it, and you always hear Data say say at the very, very end when he's meeting with the sheriff, you know, the octopus was very scary. Mm-hmm. Like, what octopus? What? Is he making that up? This is Data. This is not Chunk. You know, why? Why? But apparently there was an octopus, right? Yep. There was. There was a scene that they cut out. As soon as they splash down from those slides, they get attacked by an octopus before they're able to board the ship. So... Why do you think or do you know why they cut that out? Uh, Well, my guess is just for timing or I saw it once a long time ago, that scene. I don't remember if it looked realistic or not, but maybe it looked fake and stuff. Maybe just for timing, but it's just it's just kind of an unnecessary thing. Maybe like we see the ship. Let's get to the ship. Let's not put something else in front of the boys or in front of the Goonies before they get to the ship. You know what's interesting? If you go to YouTube and you type in Goonies, octopus, or something like that, mm-hmm. you'll see. Somebody's actually put the clip up there, which is great to see. Um, what I found was the octopus was way too big. I mean, it was rather huge. And octopus hiding out inside—and this is my thinking as I'm watching it—why they would— potentially cut it or did cut it was it wasn't it it was out of the normal of like the storytelling was somewhat realistic all throughout yeah and having it just a gargantuan octopus that nobody has ever seen before like it's it's basically they're making it up it just throws a big wrench in it and makes sense yeah, and the way that they get out away from the uh the octopus isn't horrible or anything, meaning like, you know, actually plays out somewhat okay, but it's been like maybe 3 or 4 years since I I've, I've seen it. But yeah, all that combined it just seemed like it was something that's implausible in a movie that's very fun and very um plausible throughout the entire thing. Yeah, you know, now that you mention that, I bet you in the beginning, in the attic, when Mikey is telling about One-Eyed Willie's story and the legend of One-Eyed Willie, if he would have mentioned, like, um, uh, and One-Eyed Willie was rumored to have a gigantic octopus on his side, if that was mentioned in the beginning, maybe the octopus would work later on. Ah, huh. I didn't think about that. Yeah, but that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Like, I understand what you're saying. Like, the whole octopus idea is maybe a little bit nonsensical. There's a few other things. I freaking love this movie, but there's plenty of stuff that's nonsensical or, like, slapsticky. Like, the whole tennis club plumbing antics, you know? Or brands popped tires. We all know, yeah, you can let the air out of someone's tires, but it's no big deal. You just pump it up again, you know? Um, (laughs) And and on top of that, if you just take out that, if you take off that cap, it's not going to release the air. You just have to push the button yeah true that like it's like they made that idea for people who've never ridden a bike before but the majority of your audience are young boys who all they do at this time of life is ride bikes you know yeah and think he should have just whipped out a little pocket knife and stabbed the wheels i was thinking that too like Mm -hmm. that obviously that's a a, uh, they don't have knives like they don't have any weapons on them so doing that would be It could be a little out of character, but I completely understand. All he had to do was pump it back up rather than taking a little girl's bike. Totally different. Like, I would take the extra three, five minutes to pump up my tires. Yes. Then, I mean, even check to see. You know, he walked out, saw his tires were flat, but shoot, try to pump it up as opposed to taking a little girl's bike, which would be even worse. And so that plumbing scene when you brought up the plumbing doesn't work like that and so when it <laughs> when it when it did that i was like as a kid like yeah that's totally real i bet yeah. that happened and that's so awesome and i was so excited about it but now looking back now i was like uh plumbing absolutely is not like that number one it doesn't act like that number two it's not buried like that like you would think that somebody actually laid those pipes would see this huge underground area and it's just you know a couple of other i'm not going to keep going into it but yeah it's just Interesting. Now I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, this is really kind of out there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's other things too, like brand cannot let go of Troy's car or the fish heads popping up and scaring the girls or data's gadgets, like the Pinchers of Peril saving his life, you know, those little <laughs> plastic Pinchers. But whatever. Like as a kid, like you had just said, I accept it as a kid and I'm fine with it. And as an adult, I realize how mm, illogical it might be or nonsensical, but I still accept it because this is a movie. I really think this movie was made uh, to entertain kids eight to like 14 years old, you know? Yeah. And thinking of the pinches of pow, seeing how powerful those pinches of pow were, you know, being able to catch him as he's, you know, falling down to his death. And it grabs and it holds on, but then at the end, where he gets I can't remember the uh, one of the fertelli boys um it, the pinches of pow actually goes and grabs into his nuts yep I mean that dude if that pinches of Powell could save him, those are some monster pinches of pow. and so he has got to be hurting really bad right now, yep for sure so you you think he says pinchers of Powell I always heard pinchers of peril oh. But yeah. it could be his his accent makes it tough for both you and I. You might be right or I might be right. I don't know. I thought it was P-O-W, pinches of pow. I like mm. said not power. Like I, I, Pow, I thought, like pow, sock them, punch them, pow. Yeah, pinches of power is what I thought, but I thought he said pinches of pow. But it could be uh, pinches of peril, you said? That's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. I don't eh, know why he would that. Either way. Yeah. But what is interesting, too, is his dad has a crappy... Like it literally is just a camera with a spring or like, yeah, a, I know. I was like, come on, your dad, you know, you can do much better than that. Yeah. All of data's inventions are better than his dad. So maybe it's data's the one who's the, uh, the, the main guy doing the inventions and his dad's now trying to emulate his son and, and, uh, relate to his son by creating his own thing. Yeah, and speaking of data, I so wanted a friend's house that was two stories that I could zip line over to his house. That would have been so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, you know, thinking back to our neighborhood, we grew up on a street called Sequoia. And looking back at that neighborhood, I cannot visualize any two-story houses in the neighborhood. Can you? No, no, it was all single story. The only thing that I thought of was we had a huge tree in our backyard and our stepdad built a a tree house Mm -hmm. up there. And I remember Billy's house was catty, or like a corner behind mm-hmm. us. So we could have built a zip line from our house to his house. Wouldn't I, that have been awesome? We should have done that. Like we I, missed ugh. a really good opportunity. Well, I think one big reason, because, okay, if you think of a grid where there's four houses. So Billy's house was in the top right corner or yeah. say in the northeast corner. Um, the southeast corner was Was us. No, no, no. Southeast corner was somebody else. Oh, southeast, southwest was us. Southwest was us, and the northwest was somebody else we didn't know. But northeast being Billy, southeast being somebody we didn't know, they had a pit bull, and they had a pit bull that it was we were obviously scared of, and you almost got your hand ripped off. You could have died if you would have flipped over the fence. You want to tell that story? Yeah, totally. I was climbing on the fence like an idiot with a a dog jumping up trying to bite me on the other side, and I kind of slipped. My hand went too far down on the other side, like my chest was resting on top of the fence with my arm hanging over. The dog jumped up, bit my finger. I still have a scar on the, um, I guess, ring finger of my left hand where the dog bit I think I got nine stitches um if I remember that right and and that was I was being an idiot for jumping up on a fence that on the other side was a an aggressive pit bull but yeah I know what you're saying if we would have put a line up there uh, a, a slip line or whatever it's called and then gone and then fallen down in their yard I think it could have been trouble well, definitely. I think you would have died. If yeah. the, if you actually flipped over, like that pit bull was so aggressive. I mean, literally, I mean, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Anyways, if you would have flipped over, I think you would have been gone. So I'm so glad that didn't happen. And as well as that zip line would have been awesome if that stupid pit bull wasn't there. <laughs> Yeah, totally. But it was all my own fault. I can't blame the pit bull for me being an idiot oh, climbing on a fence on the with the pit bull on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. But I do blame pit bulls in general. They're very aggressive. I'm not. A, I love dogs, but pit bulls. They're just inherently aggressive. like a black lab or a, um, a golden retriever. They're not aggressive. Like they'll lick you to death. Yeah. But a pit bull is absolutely aggressive. And so if you have yeah, if you have somebody that doesn't care for the for the pit bull, actually treats them bad, they get even worse. And so, yeah, long story short, I'm glad you still have your finger and you're still alive because that could have been horrible. Yeah, it could have been for sure, for sure. Um, you know this movie you talked about a few of those like nonsensical stuff it also had a ton of different movie tropes and the one movie trope i want to point out is we have in the character troy and his friends we've got a classic jock or preppy jerks in the movie you know to be the uh the 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 enemies of our goonies yeah and it, what was funny is when he and when he's sitting on a toilet. And it pops him up straight through the ceiling, which is super fun to watch. Yep. Um, you can even li- literally see now that you're watching for it, or you can watch for it, you see the pole, you know, pushing him up. Yeah. You know, you can kind of see that it being older now, but you see him land on the ground thinking of the movie trope, but he goes, Daddy, I know. <laughs> oh, no, come on. what you can't be more douchey than calling for your dad in that kind of situation, especially when you're driving. What was that like a uh, Camaro? You know, a GTO or something yep. like, like. He must re- have been the richest kid at school, and he probably flaunted it too. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. What a prick, man. Um, you know, speaking of bad characters, I really like so. Ma Fratelli I can't think of the actress's name but she's great right she's always bad throw mama from the train you've seen her a lot of 80 movies and stuff but at one point she kicks the kids out of the restaurant and she says kids suck and I think that line does a great job of like antagonizing most of the audience and it gets the audience rooting even more for the boys and against the Fratellis, you know? Oh man, I completely agree. She did a fantastic job. and One thing I caught me or I I caught like kind of an idea that what was interesting is when you have Sloth on the boat, on the pirate ship with uh, the Ma, Ma Fratelli, I was like, man, she really looks like she could be his mom.
1: <laughs> it was
0: not, not like in the deformed way, but I was like, man, I could see resemblance. I could not see with Robert Do- Davi and the other guy. Couldn't really see his resemblance. But with Sloth, I was like, huh, you know, I could kind of see it. But yeah, she did a great job. She's always been a good actress. And oh, I wanted to bring up, didn't you know Robert Davi's like nephew or something? Yes, yes. My good friend in junior high, Dane, um, uh, his uncle was Robert Davi, and so I never was able to meet Robert Davi. And at the time, when I was that young, I only knew Robert Davi from, uh, you know, from the Goonies. He hasn't, or at the time, I hadn't seen, uh, I don't know, oh. any other movie of his, you know oh what I mean? no, but, Wait, no, one big one. I got to bring it up. Uh-huh. One big one that I was like, oh, man, Sky, have you met him again? You know, because Goonies was one, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the second movie that came out that I remember Robert Davi playing in, can you remember that, what that is? uh no what are you thinking die hard oh he was that's special, right special he was agent johnson die hard. you're right no no relation to the other special agent johnson but yeah yes he was in die hard and i was like dude you you're your friend Dane. that's his uncle can you go meet him <laughs> that'd be cool I would have liked to have, because Robert Davi, ever since frickin', I don't know, my guess is he started acting in the 70s or something, he's been in movies every single year. He was in a really classic movie called License to Kill, he was the bad guy, uh, you know, in a a 007 movie, Um, and he's been in just so many movies. He was in a classic movie that I've never watched, but I just know about him in it, called Showgirls. Did you ever watch Showgirls? no i di- he was in that yeah he was in that and i've never seen it and i refuse to watch that movie i've just heard so many bad things about it but yeah robert alvey's just been all over the place and if you don't know his name at a minimum you know his face guaranteed when you, th- when you just mentioned gotta make a side note on um you will never watch Showgirls, which I probably will never watch it either. But a movie that I will never watch is The Notebook. I yeah. I, I drew a line in the sand saying, I will never, ever, ever watch The Notebook. That's my, my goal in life is to never watch The Notebook. But uh, when you said not never watch that show, that would really have got me thinking. But yeah, it would have been cool to have met Robert Davi. Now, um, the other actor, he played in uh, – sorry, the brother, the other brother. So you got Robert Davi being one Joey of the brothers. Pants. Yeah, and so he was Italian. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, not uh, Robert Davi is Italian, so he was able to speak Italian and all that stuff, which was great. The other, what was his, his other brother's name? Joey Pants. You Joey mean as, Pants. as a character? Uh, well, Francis way. was his character. Francis, name. there you go. Yeah. You know, he's, oh, I don't wear a hairpiece. But uh, he was in The Matrix, which is one yep. movie that I completely remember him being in. Um, was he also in Memento? Yes, he was. He was yes. the, I can't remember his exact role, but um he was like a f- a friend but then at the same time a bad guy we i think don't know. he was a good guy but he was the main actor was tricked into thinking he was a bad guy exactly yeah so yeah um so anyways he's a great actor too I, yeah. I was glad to have all you know all three like the casting in all three uh sorry of all three fratellis as well as the rest of the movie is just really good i thought they did a great job yes I I fully love every single member of the cast and one thing I do want to mention Martha Plimpton plays Steph and I'm telling you every time I've heard the name Martha Plimpton Plimpton. It sounds like a total made up, like this would be the name of the nosy neighbor that you would name in your movie. Martha (laughs) Plimpton sounds so fake to me, but I mean, she's been an actress for like 30, 40 years now, maybe 30 years, acting forever. She starred in tons of movies, tons of TV shows and stuff. But just the name just sounds totally made up to me. You know who? Yeah, I completely agree. You know who I, I really like? Rosita. She was yeah. awesome. <laughs> she did her. <laughs> yep. I'm looking on INDB right now. Her name is Lupe Ontiveros. And I guess she's been in um, plenty of other movies over the past few years. Uh, the last movie was 2014. But she's been constantly acting ever since this one, I believe. Probably wow. a lot of small roles. And I can't... I don't recognize her from anything else. But... um. Uh, Oh, she was in Blood In, Blood Out. She was also in Selena. So maybe I would recognize her from a few of these other movies. Now, what did you think about having Cyndi Lauper being the boys, uh, a song for a boys movie? I love that song. And I remember back then, right now, we don't think much of Cyndi Lauper. Oh, she was an 80s hit. She's a one hit wonder, quote unquote, she's done now. But back then, I think she was... She was like the it girl when it comes to music, the it music performer. And everybody wanted her for their movies, They wanted her songs for their movies. And I thought it was perfect. And I remember watching this and loving this song. I didn't think anything bad about it at all. So the first time, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Cinderella opera was definitely huge um, back when the movie was either getting made or thought of. And so I remember watching uh, that uh, making of thing that they said that, they speak Spielberg or, uh, Richard Donner, the director invited her to come out to the scene, uh, you know, actually where they're, they're filming and all that sort of stuff. And cause she's actually going to write the song for the movie. Like it wasn't a song that she wrote and then they just picked it up and put it mm-hmm. on. No, they, she actually wrote the song for the movie, but yeah. So all the boys were big fans of hers, um, or it seemed like the, the majority of them were big I fans think of back hers. Then everybody was a fan of hers. Yeah. Because obviously she had so many big hits, um, uh, and just her personality. She was re- really a loud person, not loud, but like boisterous. She was like fun and quirky personality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could see her coming a mile away. And yeah, she is. Was- and so that was really, really interesting. And um, w- I, in listening to the dom- documentary, they, um, Corey Feldman said that they, the, all the cast, uh, the boys, hated that song when mm. it was first played. Like they oh, literally, really? yeah, they hated the song. Everybody said it was horrible. But now when I think of Goonies, the, the um, I can't remember what, I don't know what type of instrument it is, but it's like sounds like not like bongos, but like the um you know, you hit um you hit some sticks on these these metal um uh, I'm just A xylophone? Xylophone, is that what it is? Uh huh. But Anyways, it's that part where it's like, bong, 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 bong. And, and, and she's saying Goonies in the background. That's what, when I think of the movie Goonies, that song pops right in my head. And it fits really, really well. I think it's also because I love the movie, number one. Number two, it just, it goes all right. Like it tells a story, just like the rest of the soundtrack tells a story really, really well. So all that combined really helps me to think, man, it was a, a huge hit for Cyndi Lauper, but then it also fit really well with the movie. 100%, 100%. Um, oh, you know what I really liked? And one thing I learned from the on the DVD the making of was that one-eyed willy pirate ship at the end. They built it from scratch, gigantic ship, and they did not show it to the kids until that scene in the movie when you see them come out of the water out after the slide and they see them see the ship or we see them see the ship. So their reaction is their real reaction to seeing a crazy ship. And I just love that aspect of that- movie making there. That is super awesome. I didn't know that. That's very, very cool. It kind of reminds me of um, Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock. You know, he, he would do things like that to his actors to get their real reaction. And yes. if you think of Psycho, where the murder scene where, you know, the, the lady's in the, in the tub and, or in the shower and she gets stabbed and you hear that authentic scream, that really, really loud scream. Well, what it was was um, to get that, Alfred Hitchcock put ice cold water in there. So, when it was time for her to scream, the ice cold water went through and she screamed and it was oh, a blood no curdling scream. Yeah. <laughs> that is so smart, man. Absolutely. So, being a creative director to get authentic movements and facial expressions and all that sort of out of out of your um uh your cast, that has to take a lot of creativity. Oh, 100% it does. Yeah, the directors, I mean, you might think, I don't not you, but some people might think the directors just, "Hey, you know, shoot the take once they're done hit cut and that's not what directors at all that's not what they do at all they're constantly guiding their actors in different things and they they set things in motion for the actors to respond to and and directors are just as creative as the writers of the movie as the cinematographers as everybody else within the whole movie making uh enterprise you know Yeah, definitely agreed. That's really cool that they didn't show them the, the, I can't, well, number one, they didn't show it to them until they actually saw it and was recording it. Uh, But then that they built that whole thing from scratch. That's super cool. I know. And do you know what they did with it afterwards? I have no idea. They junked it. Nobody wanted to take it home or find a berth for it or anything. So that whole entire ship was just destroyed afterwards. Wow. What a shame, huh? I mean, what a I was shame. thinking about that would be my movie, <laughs> that would be my movie prop. But well, that's a big prop. I mean, that's an entire set, you know. Yeah, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh but it would be cool. Hey, you know, so that would be Okay, so if you go to New Zealand, they have Hobbiton, the place where they recorded Hobbiton set up as an entire tourist attraction. It is awesome. Me and my family went. We had dinner there at the Green Dragon. It was the most unbel- unbelievable thing ever. So there is a little bit of precedent right there for setting up like a movie prop or a scene to to bring tourists to. Um, But one thing that I learned, I can't remember where it was in the making of or whatever, maybe just some like movie news. But the house, Mikey's house that he grew up in that they filmed is the owners of the house are freaking tired of people visiting the house, taking pictures, looking for it, driving up, parking in the driveway and, and going up and ringing the front doorbell. They actually ring the front doorbell. Yes, well, that's what I've heard. Yeah, how how tacky is that? Now, I've done this. So when I in March I traveled all through Europe um, and went through England, Ireland, Scotland, um, uh, Switzerland, where else? Did I go France, Belgium, uh, Germany. I went through like eleven different countries. And on one of my stops was um, in England. So there is a famous writer. His name's C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh yeah. Well. Yeah, so there's a house that he 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 lived in for like, I don't know, 20, 30 years. That's supposedly known as his house. And there's even a little plaque that says, you know, C.S. Lewis's house. I drove up to it and took a picture because we were somewhat in the area. So I drove up because I really like C.S. Lewis. I like his Christian writing about Christianity as well as Chronicles and Narnia. So I was like, hey, we're already here. Let me go right, go by and take a picture of it. But there's a plaque there. So I got a picture of the plaque with me next to it. But I literally did not go to the, to the doorbell and ring the doorbell. Like I parked down the street. So I could walk up, take the picture, and then because you know I, I'm like considerate. I'm like, yeah. if this were my house, I wouldn't want somebody else parking right in and honking their horn and hey, everybody look at me, I'm yep. here, you know, all that sort of stuff. I can't believe they do that. That's just sad. Well, it is sad, but you can imagine what they do. Also, they go up there, they. Uh, they're wearing Hawaiian shirts and they're all doing truffle shuffles and taking pictures and videos outside of their home. I mean, it's kind of it's it, it's an awesome idea. We own the house that was in Goonies, but at the same time, damn it, we own the house that was in Goonies. You know, I know. Well, what they should do is have a, a fee and I don't live there. Just have it as a, a tourist attraction, you know, bring people in and make money, charge, charge them five bucks a head to go through it. Yeah, that would be awesome. Hey, hey, get your picture taken as a truffle shuffle, or doing the truffle shuffle, or yep. you know, all that good stuff. You could do lots. Of, like this is the attic. Let's go up in the attic. Check out the attic. Totally, totally. Or set up that Rube Goldberg machine at the very beginning, so everybody who comes up after they pay their ten bucks per person, they get to trip the uh, trip the Rube Goldberg machine to get let in. You know what I mean? Great idea, cool deal. So, um, is there anything else you want to mention before we get to our lessons learned? I love this movie. That's about it. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> me too, me too. So lesson number one for me is always be kind. So the Fratelli's poor treatment of Sloth, um, along with Mikey and Chunk, they were nice to him, right? That put Sloth on their side, and in the end, he helped them against his own family. That's a great point. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say my number two, because that goes right along with my number oh. two, or is basically the same. Um number two is never judge a book by its cover there you go and sloth became chunks best friend and you know live within him now and i think that's a great storytelling especially for kids our age you know we it's our age when we watched it but you know it's easy for kids to pick on you know people who are different um it's easy for kids to you know like the big term now was oh you're bullying me well bullies oh whatever it's not a big term for me i don't really care you know but just, just don't be a jerk and yeah. so when you're not being a jerk to people you're actually being kind to people like you said you're not judging a book by its cover hey this person looks different than me let me um you know treat them differently or poorly absolutely not you can't can't do that you need to do do well by people and so yeah never judge a book by its cover same thing be kind to everybody and how sloth then became a best friend for chuck i mean you you may be hurting somebody that could be your best friend totally i love that lesson i love it uh what was your first lesson since you skipped it kids can do amazing things oh good now This, now that I'm looking back being an adult, having kids, my, my, uh, that their age, you know, at the same age that I was watching it, I don't think that necessarily applies to me now, but I was looking at myself when I watched it and how I learned it. Like it it is, it's both where right now I can realize kids can do amazing things. Um, cause I see all the amazing things my kids do. But at the same time, when I was a kid, I was like, man, I can do this. I could like, this is something that since I watched it so long ago, the life lesson that I learned is also I'm gravitating to what I learned back when I was younger. And so the first time I watched it, it was like, I could do anything. I could go and take on the Fratellis. I yep. can take the map and go get the treasure. I can wrestle octopuses. Like that was, that was the lesson that I learned back then. And so kind of applies to today because, yeah, I mean, kids, we could potentially just kind of dismiss them as not being able to um, – handle either smarter content or like if you're teaching them something you know you have to only teach them first grade stuff you shouldn't teach them third or fourth grade stuff well I completely disagree with that I actually homeschool all four of my kids are like my wife does she's hard work and she does all the hard work but my five-year-old is sitting there learning things that my 10-year-old are, are learning. She obviously is drawing or doing other things, but my, my wife is definitely not secluding her off. She's learning the exact same time as my 10-year-old. So yeah, kids can, they, they can do amazing things and they can do more than we think they could. Totally. I agree with that. I love that lesson. Um, My second lesson is don't let good opportunities pass you by. So the Goonies, they had plenty of chances to, like, end their journey because of the danger, right? But they didn't, and they succeeded as a group of friends. They beat the Fratellis, and they saved their neighborhood. So uh, this was the perfect opportunity. If they would have passed it by, within a few days, they would have been split up and never seen each other again. Mm, I completely agree. I thought you were talking about being Troy and using the mirror to look down. The, that, the too. That's, that's the <laughs> second part of don't let good opportunities <laughs> pass you by. Yep. <laughs> All right, my third, that's a great lesson. I completely agree. If an opportunity comes up, you definitely need to jump on it. Mm -hmm. But to kind of go along with that, or definitely to go along with that, I also believe that you need to be ready for opportunities. Like they've already had the friendship, they already have the ideas, they already have, you know, hey, let's go ahead and do it rather than, you know, not being ready for an opportunity. They've already, um, like data is obviously already prepared. Um, Anyways, all that to say, when opportunities come, you can only take advantage of them as much as you've already been prepared for it. So definitely get prepared for opportunities beforehand. Like, and the specific reason, I teach real estate and how to invest in real estate rental properties. And I tell all my students, start learning now before you actually buy a property, how to run a business well. Because if you learn now, you're gonna save yourself so much headache in the future. On top of that, you're gonna have the ability to jump on opportunities that most people will not. Like if you don't have any money, you can't buy a property. You know, you can't get financing if you don't have a job, all that sort of stuff. But if you have money, you have a job, you can get financing because you're ready, then you can jump on that opportunity. Totally, I love that. I love that. Good, good. So, Cool, my last one is... Never pig out at a fat camp or you'll get kicked out. Ah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> How there funny get so kicked out a like, fat camp. Uh, every, everything that Chunks said, I was like, okay, life lesson. Okay, another <laughs> life lesson. <laughs> yep. Okay, another life lesson. Don't do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. I like that one. So my third lesson is keep your candles and dynamite separate. In fact, don't buy candles that resemble the dynamite that you're carrying. <laughs> you know, come uh-huh. on, Chester Copperpot. You freaking... You're not a treasure hunter I would try to emulate, that's for sure. Absolutely. And how in the world did he have one boulder fall on him and not the other ones? He was really good at making those booby traps work against him. Yeah, well, my whole idea, I thought about the same thing. And my idea is just that he was just, uh, he just sat there and was thinking about his next move. And then the booby trap itself just failed and the rope uh, ripped or the rope tore and, and crushed him right there. I, I don't think it was a booby trap set off, I don't think. Yeah, because all of them fell down sequentially after the rope broke, you know, cut, yeah. was cut. And so it makes it like, how did that one? It, it, that was. I think it was bad luck. Oh, okay. Perfect I mean, that's my explanation for it. After, you know, hundreds of years of it not, it all of a sudden, right when he sits down to, to you know, eat a sandwich, <laughs> yep <laughs> that's Perfect. what it was have one of his smokes he had a an old <laughs> pack of cigarettes there the mouth found so <laughs> cool all right so i would i'm gonna guess what your movie rating is oh it's probably the same as mine uh-huh so i believe you're gonna give it a Hundred percent it is a 100 yes absolutely same here 100 percent. now here's what i wanted to ask you if you had never watched it before And you had never lived through it and all that sort of stuff. And it came out and you were, you know, you're 40 years old now. You were 40 years old. And at the time it came out and it came out, what score would you give it then? Um, I would probably still give it somewhere around 90 because I really think I could put myself into my young kid's shoes. And I I can realize that this movie was made for young kids, right? Um, uh, Teenagers between... teenagers but I mean little kids between 10 and 14 years old I can put myself in those shoes and I really think that I would view this um I don't know I would just see all the I would see all the great things about this movie and all those little things that we mentioned uh before like the nonsensical stuff I can overlook those and see the value that a young kid would have uh in watching this movie I would give it at at a minimum a 90 if I watched it now I, you know what, I, I agree with you on that, and this is, this is my thinking, is if you think of the movie Home Alone, mm-hmm. the first Home Alone was pretty decent. It, towards the end, got really slapsticky, but the storytelling was pretty decent, and that's a movie I could watch again. Like, it wasn't specifically made for only for children or, yeah. you know, kids. Goonies, in the same light... Is not made specifically for children. There's adult, you know, humor in there, obviously, as well. But when you get to the other Home Alones, like Home Alone 2, 3, 4, or however many they have, they get so slapsticky that's just for kids. Like I would not watch them because like this is just so silly. Um, Goonies is definitely not a slapsticky, uh kid-only type of movie. Like it appeals to adults. And so as I'm watching it as an adult, there are some things like, oh yeah, that's kind of kinda quirky, but I still would say, you know, I would probably give it like an, an 89 to 90 if I have never watched it before because the storytelling is really good and the, the characters, all the actors, everything worked out really, really well. But I would say I probably, the reason why it's 100 for me is because nostalgic and watching it and watching it through my eyes as a little kid, but I completely agree with you in, in your direction. So I probably get 89 to 92 or something like that, but because of all the history and how terrific we remember it, 100 for me nice nice i like it i love it i love it so you and i of course we can't give it anything but a hunter we chose it as our number one most childhood defining movie you know exactly exactly and i'm so glad we picked this one it it was it's, it's a great great one to watch cool beans so let me see here my monday morning quarterback uh it comes like 25 minutes into the movie the fratellis or ma fratelli in particular should have kicked the kids out of the restaurant right then and there as soon as they came in through the door don't give them a chance to discover anything don't give them a chance to possibly see your son sloth or to get an idea that there's uh some hinky stuff behind the scenes the kids walk in get out we're not open and then be done with it absolutely you say hey do you have a pecker? Go, go, go pee outside in a tree. You're not going to exactly. go down there. Yeah, you know, this is. Yeah. So completely, completely agree that um she should have done that. But what's interesting is you took the uh bad guy perspective. You know, that was really, really cool because I didn't expect that, you know, try to figure out what the bad guy could have done mm-hmm. differently to make it not be so bad or, you know, actually make it out that They win. And what reminds me is when we were younger playing with like, G.I. Joe or Transformers or any, any toy whatsoever, you were usually the, like the, the Decepticons or, you know, Cobra. And I was always G.I. Joe or, yeah. you know, the Transformers, the Autobots. And so you were always taking the negative side and I was always taking the positive. I don't know why it just, you know, always worked out, but um, yeah, that's cool that you pick that as the money morning quarterback. Mm-hmm. So my money morning quarterback is thinking of, you know, trying to help chunk and a uh, Mikey data and mouth, not actually, you know, get in trouble or follow through with everything, take their time, get all the money and get out without having the Fertellis on them. It is really, if I boil everything down, chunk escaping was good. But then as soon as the car pulls up, he just starts blabbing away. And he's just you know talking. Oh, oh the, the people, Fertelli's killed somebody, and the blah blah blah. And he didn't know who he was talking to. So if Ma- Mal or sorry Chunk would never have started blabbing and just made sure it was safe to talk to the person, and you know don't give away all the goods right away. If he would have done that, wouldn't have been a problem. Like he would have been said, "Oh, you're for and 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 you know, hey." I'm lost. Can you help me out? Like we tried to leave home, or we were we trying to go home, and I'm lost. I lost my friends, and then who knows? He might have just dropped him off. You know, it seems like that would be a great thing. That now the Fratellis would never have been on their trail. Love that idea. Now there are three movie props in there that oh. are ideal, or not ideal, but like iconic and kind of stick out in my mind. Okay. So I have I have three that I would say since it's my favorite movie, I would want all three. So I'm going to pick all three. Okay. But I'm going to give you the first stab at what's the movie prop that you would like to have. I think uh the one prop would be one-eyed Willie's skull, not the full skeleton, but the but just the skull with the eye patch. Wow, that's what you picked, huh? Yep. That is a tad bit morbid for me, but hey, <laughs> that'd be fantastic having that. So, the three for me, obviously the map. Mm-hmm. That is easy to see. Second would be the De Bloom, and then third would be the skeleton key. Yeah, th- those would be super cool to have because you'd be like, dude, this is from Goonies. This, here's the map. Here's a skeleton key. Here's a bloom, This is what got them to the treasure and all that sort of stuff. Yep, I agree with you. I thought of those exact same three things, but I specifically chose One-Eyed Willy's skull because that kind of wasn't the obvious item, you know, but you would want to have that in your house. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that at all. That would be awesome. Huh. One eyed wheelie's skull. He didn't have a uh, like a pirate's hat. He had a pirate's bandana on yeah. along with his eye patch. I think that would be awesome. If, as soon, Okay, so all of those items that you just mentioned, the map, the uh, brass skull key, and the doubloon, those are all instantly recognizable as Goonies. I think the skull, especially with that eye patch with the four emeralds or five emeralds on it, I think that would be just as instantly recognizable. I, I agree, and I wanted to bring it up, and I didn't think about it until now, and we're definitely getting way long because it's our favorite movie yeah. in the podcast, but hey, oh well, if, if people have made it this far, you guys are awesome for <laughs> making yes, it Yes, thank this you very far. much for listening this far. <laughs> exactly, because um, this is it's just fun for us to go through this. Now, when One-Eyed Willie, uh, when Mikey lift up his his patch, you see this skull was, was actually um, uh, it was grown over, like was, his eye socket didn't develop. Yeah, it was never there. He literally never had an eye. It's different than what I would have thought. Was and it could be just because of storytelling. You know, a skull or a skeleton's skull that has a hole. It looks like okay. You don't. You have no clue that he actually had his eye stabbed out, or you know, something bad happened to his eye. But if you have it glazed over or like sculled over or you know the bones are over it and you have that covering you can definitely see okay the reason why he was one eye willy is because of this as opposed to having his eye gouged out yeah totally i love that aspect of it yeah there you go cool beans so um well I think we've covered just about everything I want to cover on this movie. Anything that we missed, Dust? I'm good to go. That was great. Sweet. So this, of course, was your choice, The Goonies. So next week should be my choice. But I have a very special uh, movie I want to select for the following week. So I'm going to give my choice this week to you. So what would you like to what? choose? Oh, man. Yep. Two in a row? Yep. Because I've got a special thing coming out in theaters that I really want to talk about. Well, of course, I want to watch and I want to talk about it. So this week is your choice or this next week is yours. Very cool. OK, so I have been seeing uh, I don't watch the trailers, but I've seen uh, little clips here and there about this, this movie. that and it looks decent and it has um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he talks out of the side of his mouth. What's his name? Um, anyways, it's it's Hunter Killer, and the, this guy played in Three Hundred. He was the main guy. Oh, Gerard Ger- Butler, Gerard Depardieu is that? Ah, him Gerard is? Depardieu. Oh no, it's Gerard Butler. Yeah, yep. but um, so he's in it, and Gary Oldman's in it. So he, I, Gary Oldman's a great actor. So, yeah. and so is Gerard uh, Depardieu, or sorry, Gerard Butler. Yeah, they're both great. And so it's called Killer Hunter. So let's go watch that, and then come back and discuss it. Sweet hunter killer it is. So for the audience, now that you know how we feel about the Goonies, we would love to hear your thoughts. And of course, not just your thoughts on the movie, but also any life lessons that you took away from it. So please visit the show notes page at www.watchandlearnpodcast.com slash pod 21. You can scroll down to the bottom and leave a comment at the bottom of the page. On the page, you can see our list of life lessons learned, as well as a link to the official trailer and a few different screenshots there. And um, we also have a link there to our Watch and Learn podcast Facebook page, where you can comment as well. Does uh, Does all of that sound good, Dust? It sounds great. And one last thing, if you've made it this far, you are fantastic. And I would appreciate it if you also hit that subscribe button in whatever app you're listening through, to this through. And it really helps us to know that people are enjoying everything we're putting out. But thank you very much for putting up with us. And hopefully you, you've been able to reminisce or even just, you know, listen to this, the whole story about the Goonies and everything we talked about. But yeah, so subscribe to our podcast, please. We'd love to have you be with us every single week as we review another movie. Nice. Thanks us. I echo those sentiments. So, thank you very much for listening everybody, and we will return next week with Hunter Killer.